Ready? One, yep. two, three. Oh, that was terrible. Do you want to try again? <laughs> yeah, that was okay. so delayed on my part. I was like, how do I clap? I don't remember. <laughs> what am I doing with my hands? My, my hands don't want to go together. <laughs> All right. Ready? All right, well, One, two, one, three. Two. Okay. okay. That was better. <laughs> I don't know why I forgot how to clap all of a sudden. It's so freaking weird. I just like watched my hands in the in the in the zoom picture, and I was just like, "Go together. Why aren't they going together? Why aren't they working?" I caramba. Welcome, everybody, to State of Murder. I'm your host, Selena Cooper. I'm your other host, Amber Ratzliff. And we are in the middle of hell right now, here where we're recording in Fresno, because it is 107 degrees today, after it's been, what, it's been a whole week of triple digits? Yeah, yesterday was 112 in Fresno. Yep. So that's where we are recording with no air conditioning and no fans uh, to help our sound quality. So I'm just laying on an ice pack. Oh, that's a good idea. I'm just going to sweat. And as Selena will watch as my face gets redder and redder as I get hotter and hotter. I came prepared with an ice pack. I was like, no. Man. I was like, it's too hot. I was yesterday I was going, I went outside to play with my dogs at around 6.30, 7-ish. And I was like, oh, it's not too bad out here. And I looked and it was 105 degrees. And I was like, what the fuck? Why is it? Why am I like, oh, it's nice out. And it's 105. (laughs) I'm like, this is downright chilly. Yep, that's how you know you've been in the valley for a while. You start getting used to it. After it hits triple digits, you're like, I mean, you kind of notice that it's a little hotter, but marginally. (laughs) But it's okay. It's okay. As long as we have air conditioning and the rolling blackouts don't affect us while we're recording. <laughs> That's like my big worry. <laughs> Please don't. Although, so is it yeah. bad of me that I teach a class online and on Thursday I'm like, that's okay. You can be a rolling blackout when I need to teach my class. <laughs> It'll probably be tomorrow. So whatever you have tomorrow. I don't have nothing we'll tomorrow. How it goes. And I think they're only shutting it off after work hours. So it's like from four to... 10 I think is when they're shutting well, people's that's when I teach off. my one class on Thursday nights oh okay so maybe we'll see how that goes so come we're in triple on pg and e gods if you're gonna turn off my power do it during my work like can you just shut it off during the day and I can just take a nap because I can say that I had nothing to do yeah although they'd probably be like to go into the office then <laughs> no thank you yeah that's when I start clipping wires and I'm like, well, guys, your guys' power got shut off too then. <laughs> what? Somebody messed with the wires? Who did what's, that? What's happening here? I remember when we wanted to leave early that one time when we were working at our other job and we were talking about like turning off the power somehow. How can I do this without them suspecting? <sighs> oh, the joys of working together. <laughs> 
All right, so we are in the state of Illinois this week. I know last week, for any of you who caught it, at the end of the episode, I said we'll see you guys in Chicago next week. But we are in the entire state of Illinois because my case does not take place in Chicago, or at least part of it doesn't take place in Chicago. So sorry to the rest of Illinois that we are only mentioning Chicago. (laughs) That's okay, because my case does take place in Chicago, so it fits. So you weren't necessarily wrong. No, I guess not, but still. it was. We're in the whole state of Illinois. We are. The land of Lincoln is what Illinois is, but Abraham Lincoln wasn't from Illinois. No, he is from Indiana. Yeah, but I don't know. They claim it, I guess. Well, because his political career started in Illinois. I think he was a postmaster general in Illinois or something like that for a while, and then he was a state senator. Oh, okay. The more you know. The the more you know. Yes. Shooting star. Do you remember those? What was it? NBC? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So there's my little like facts about Lincoln. I don't have a lot of them, but there's one. (laughs) No, I think the only president that was born in Illinois, I think, was Ronald Reagan. It was. So I don't like him. (laughs) I don't either. So (laughs) we don't need to talk about him. Terrible. Okay, so that's another <laughs> thing I know about Illinois. Let's see anything else. Yeah, have you been to Illinois? Have you ever been to Chicago or anywhere else? I have. I lived in Chicago. Oh wow! Why did I not know this? Did I know this? Maybe I, I didn't know. know this. I don't know. Maybe you knew it. Maybe you didn't. I lived. I, I did. I'm going to put in parentheses because it wasn't abroad, but I studied abroad in Chicago when I was in college, and so I lived in Hyde Park, which is the northern south side of Chicago. And it's it's where uh, why can't I think why can't I think of what the name of that place is? It's their science uh, building is at. It'll come to me. But anyway, so I lived there. I lived in a two bedroom apartment with nine other girls. Oh my goodness! Yeah. So <laughs> so it, it was interesting. We all lived in bunk beds and shared everything and it was a fun time I wouldn't do it now but at 19 I thought it was an amazing adventure and I love Chicago so it's a great city nice that sounds cool I'd always I'd like to go to Chicago one of these days I have not been so still not at that last state I visited (laughs) yeah no it is it is a really cool don't go in the winter though because the winter is miserable So that's when I moved there was in the winter time, and I was, I mean, and I'm from Nebraska in like Kansas area, so I'm used to winters, but like the wind off the lake is just so freaking bitter cold, like it's awful. <laughs> so springtime's really nice though. Okay, good to know. So and I didn't live there in the fall, so I, li- I didn't live there for a long time, I was just a semester, but it was a good time. Nice, very cool, so. very cool. Glad to know you didn't get police escorted out of Chicago. No, I didn't. But I was working, uh, working. I went to school and we were attending, it was called the Urban Life Center. And mm-hmm. so is is the program I was at. And so it was kind of like, well, the idea, I guess, was taking kind of sheltered kids and putting them in an urban environment to see the differences. And I always, because I mean, I grew up in Seattle, so there was a lot of different urban things. But like I felt like they always put us in these like really weird situations and so like we would take tours of like the south side and like kind of like where Cabrini Green is so the projects and it's like you're bringing all these white like farm kids to like gawk at like the projects and I was always like I'm so uncomfortable with it 
And then there was this one time they made us go out in pairs to figure out the bus system because the transportation system in Chicago is amazing. So they sent us out and then I went with like the one black guy in our group and we ended up going to a part of like the south west side of Chicago and we went to more of a Hispanic district and I have never felt so uncomfortable and stared at and because I was like with a black guy and I don't know if you ever watched Save the Last Dance where mm-hmm. like they're looking because yeah. that takes place in Chicago. That came out right after I like could live there. And so it made me laugh because I'm like, oh my gosh, that is totally what happened. So I was sitting with like my black friend and like people were just like mean mugging us. And he, he was like, Amber, I'm really uncomfortable right now. And he's like, he's like, I don't know if it's because I'm black or if it's because I'm hanging out with you. And I'm like, I don't know. There's nothing we can do. I'm like, quick, finish this project and let's get out of here. It's just a weird experience. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> Thanks for oh my gosh, so. that's hilarious! I love Save the Last Dance. That's like one of my favorite. Oh, movies. I love that movie so much. Oh god, I love it. And that's uh, one of Carrie Washington's first role. Was yes. that Carrie Washington was in it? Right? Yeah. He says she's a sister. Yep. Yeah. Chantel, isn't her name Chantel or Chantel? <laughs> Is Chantel her name or the name of the girl? No, Nikki's the name of the girl. Oh, Nikki. Yeah, Nikki's the bitch. Yeah. <laughs> And Sarah. That's, That's such a good, good movie. I like that movie. Uh, yeah, so also, too, I'd like to go see Chicago. That's where the Obamas are from. Mm-hmm. Well, Michelle Obama, technically Barack was born in Hawaii, but uh, he's like, I guess he would be from Hawaii, even though he lived in Chicago. Yeah, and but he was a, sen- a senator from Chicago, or from Illinois. Mm-hmm. So. Illinois. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where they met in Chicago, where she was working. And I think that's super cute, because I read Michelle Obama's book, because I love her. She's amazing. Oh, yeah. Uh, she is amazing. Also, did you hear her speech at the oh, DNC? It gave me goosebumps. Like, I, I was, like, getting, like, chills when she was talking, and I was like, Michelle, I want you to be our president. <laughs> Yes, I don't think she'd ever run for president, but I would love her. She can just be the queen of the United States. I'd be okay with that. We can have a monarchy. I'd be down for that monarchy. Queen Michelle and her consort, Barack. Mm -hmm. Barack. Yep, that would be dope. I would totally podcast. Her podcast is really good, too. For anyone who hasn't gotten a chance to listen to it, the Michelle Obama Mm -hmm. podcast is very good. It is. Mainly because I could just listen to her talk all day. Oh, me too. I could, yeah, no, she gave me chills, and I was just, like, so excited to listen to her last night. So I don't normally necessarily watch those conventions, but I was like, oh, if Michelle's talking, I'm listening. Yeah, definitely. All right, so we got sidetracked on a lot of things about Chicago, <coughs> but let's jump right in. What story do you have for us this week? All right, so this week, um, it was pretty easy for me to figure out what case I was going to do. Because there were two times that I knew before, like right when we decided to do this podcast, I was going to do my case for Nebraska, which I did, and then Chicago. So as I mentioned before, I lived in Chicago when I was in college, only for a semester. And while I was there, I had to find an internship. So I looked around and I actually interned for the National Campaign to End the Death Penalty. So while I was doing that, I did what most interns did. So I made copies, answered phones, kind of just did whatever they needed me to do. 
I did a lot of mail outs. However, this was a really big time for Chicago and specifically Cook County. As there were 10 men that started in 1998 that were on death row and they were starting to look for justice. So they became known as the Death Row 10. And where I was interning, they were kind of the, they helped like promote their cause. And so that was sort of my job was like, besides helping fundraise, was like getting out the news to anybody that would listen about these 10 men. So I'm not going to tell you about all 10 men because that should be a whole another podcast. Maybe there is another podcast out there about that, but really this could be a whole bunch of different podcasts just on the... (laughs) on the criminal justice system and police in Chicago at this time. So I'm like, okay, so I'm not going to share about everything about them, but I am going to focus on the crimes that were committed against them. So there is murder involved because if they're on death row, the chances are they were (laughs) convicted of murder. Yeah. But there were crimes committed against them by, they're known as the Midnight Crew of Area 2. So this is is that story. And not even that whole story, but... So I'm going to give you a little bit of an overview. So I'm going to start with one case. I'm actually going to tell you two cases, and it all ties everything kind of together. So on February 9th, 1982, two policemen, William Fahey and Richard O'Brien, they were actually part of the gang unit, were out patrolling in Area 2, which is located on the south side of Chicago. Uh, They ended up pulling over a 1978 Chevy Impala. So O'Brien's wife was interviewed and she talked about how O'Brien always had this like sixth sense on cars that were like not clean. And so he just kind of knew what cars to pull over. I'm guessing racial profiling Mm -hmm. (laughs) was a big part of that. So inside were two black men that eyewitnesses stated were in their 20s. Now, I got my information from what happened during this stop from different news articles during the time. So I kind of looked at... 1982 articles and then there were articles like in the 90s about it so I'm going to share with you what they stated happened at that time. One of the news articles I read stated that they actually got their information from witnesses and the participants so we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. Officer Brian pulled the car over went up to the driver's side door and the driver was identified as Jackie Wilson. He wasn't identified then but he was identified later so ended up getting out of the car. Um, O'Brien asked him for his identification and Jackie's apparently stated that he didn't have any. So O'Brien ended up frisking him and started to search the car. On the other side of the car, Officer Fahey got out and started walking up to the passenger side when the passenger identified as Andrew Wilson got out. Somehow there was a scuffle and Andrew ended up apparently grabbing and struggling for Fahey's gun. And the gun in the in the like kerfuffle ended up going off and it shot Fahey in the head. Oh my gosh. Witnesses then stated that Andrew jumped over the top of the car and ended up shooting O'Brien four times. And the two brothers, Jack and Jackie and Andrew, ended up hopping back into their Impala taking off. So what would ensue was one of the largest manhunts in Chicago history. Now, at the time, they didn't have the names of the suspects. So that came out later so that it was apparently Jackie and Andrew. Just uh, descriptions from a couple of people who had seen what had happened, that there were two black guys in their 20s and they drove off in a car. 
which was identified as a late model 70s Impala. And they had stated it was brown or burnt orange or rust colored. Some color, like kind of like that color, which is pretty pro like prominent, I'm guessing. Like my family owned a 1980s brown station wagon. So I'm guessing in that <laughs> genre of color, <laughs> which yeah. is popular. <laughs> Poop brown. And it was also identified that it had a dent in the front end. Now, tensions were really high prior to Fahey and O'Brien getting shot because it actually wasn't the only police shooting that had happened in the south side of Chicago. Three other police officers had been shot in the prior months, two of them also having died. So Fahey and O'Brien both died. When this shooting happened, all hands were on deck. So police officers were working overtime. Police officers came in off shift. It was like, well, let's, we're going to totally have, find these guys. Police ended up going door to door, conducting searches by breaking down doors, beating up people, offering different sorts of bribes. They even one family stated uh, that they broke into their house, put guns to their children's faces. They ended up even shooting and killing a man's dog. Jesus, that sounds like a really good way to get false information. <laughs> and also, like, they were just out for revenge. They weren't trying mm -hmm. to figure anything out. Yeah, right. However, with the help of an eyewitness who actually picked out a picture of what he who he said was the shooter. So there was a guy that had been across the way in an apartment building kind of looking down at the crime scene. And so he identified Donald White, also known as Kojak, as the shooter. So when the police went to his house, he stated that he had nothing to do with the murders, but he actually did know who committed them. So he stated it was Andrew and Jackie Wilson. He said that reason, well, not for the reason for committing the crimes, but apparently the day before they had burglarized a house right next door to Kojak's place because they wanted to steal guns because they wanted to break out one of their friends from prison. It was actually one of the one of their friends apparently was one of the people who had killed another police officer. I don't know. It sounds like fucking bullshit to me. But, but the cops ate it up and believed it. So they didn't arrest Kojak, even though the loot from the robbery had been divided up at his house. And so there was evidence of that. So there, he's like, oh, no, it wasn't me. This is fucking in your house. Whatever. Okay. Next, the police locate, ended up locating the car because a local body repair shop guy ended up calling the police when a car came in fitting the description of the car that was kind of APB'd. So the police had identified Andrew and Jack and Jackie, and so a manhunt ensued for them. It took them a couple days, so the shootings happened on February 9th. By February 14th, both guys were in custody. At the time, it was noted that when Andrew was arrested, there was a small cut above his right eyebrow, but that he had no other injuries. So... Both uh, gave statements to the police that they had been involved and they were tried and found guilty of the crimes. They actually were tried together. So Andrew ended up getting the death penalty and Jackie got life in prison because Jackie wasn't the one apparently that shot. It was Andrew. Mm -hmm. So that should have been the end of it, right? So bad guys caught, boom, done. But that's not what happened. So Andrew actually ended up filing a civil suit against Cook County, stating that he had been tortured into giving his confession. Now, we've heard stories like this before, right? So like people saying, oh, I, you know, they coerced it out of me. However, Andrew actually had proof to back up his claims. 
So as I mentioned before, when Andrew was arrested, it was noted that he had that one small cut above his right eye and nothing else. So that was at 5.15 a.m. on Valentine's Day. However, by 10 p.m. that night, Andrew was taken to Mercy Hospital. It was noted that he had 15 other wounds to his head, neck, and chest. So I know we came across, I know you told a story about some police brutality in Texas and how that guy was murdered. I mean, we've seen kind of some stuff before. However, Andrew wasn't just beaten. He actually had burns on his body. I'll tell you how the burns happened in a second. And he had been shocked by two different devices. So the police during their interrogation had used shock collars and a cattle prod. These shocks had been given. I, I know. These shocks had been given to Andrew on his ears, his nose, his fingers, and the cattle prod had been used on his genitals. Okay, I have so many questions. Mm-hmm. But first, how did they even get these things in a police station? Did they like purposefully go out and get these things to torture him with? Second, like, what is the point? Like, I don't understand what abusing this person is gonna do, mm-hmm. and. Like, how did they not notice, like, at the trial? Like, I don't just see why, like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know, how his lawyer didn't see all of those wounds. Like, that's crazy. Or the hospital didn't. I mean, I guess they're going to report it, too, if the police did it. But Yeah. So, um, So he had a few more injuries. So he had actually been burned by cigarettes. And then they had put his body up against a hot radiator. So he had radiator burns. They then put a plastic bag over his head and started to suffocate him. Now, with Andrew's lawsuit, it came to light that there was something wrong with Precinct Area 2, right? This was probably mostly due to one commander. His name was John Berg. He was named as the kind of the main ringleader in Andrew's lawsuit. So there were a number of other policemen that were also brought in the lawsuit, but John Berg was... The one that apparently took the cattle prod to his genitals. Now, there ended up being a retrial for Andrew. Good. So the at the first trial, the attorneys did try to put this evidence in. And oh, okay. it was denied because, I don't fucking know. They just didn't let it in. So he was retried again and they said the evidence was enough. And so he was found guilty again. However, it ended up putting a spotlight on Berg and his tactics with his detectives and how he was getting confessions. So in 1989, Andrew's civil trial began. And let me tell you, it doesn't end the way we would all hope. So all of the officers involved with the torture were acquitted of any brutality. Uh When, When Berg took the stand, he denied giving Andrew any of his injuries and stated he had no knowledge of anybody else committing such activities. So Berg was also acquitted of the charges. So, you know, shocking. That's crazy. But during this time, Andrew's attorney actually ended up receiving an anonymous letter from a police officer stating that Andrew was just one out of many that this had happened to. So it ended up more civil lawsuits were filed against Berg specifically. So this commander, many stating that similar torture tactics had been used on them. Over 118 black men came forward claiming claims of torture to get a confession out of them. So all of them very similar. Cattle prods, shocking, burning. A lot of times they took the cover apparently of uh, the typewriter and put it over their heads to suffocate them. 
So. Wow. Berg was, in 1993, not really fired, but kind of forced to take an early retirement because of his actions. No, he wasn't criminally charged for any of it. He still actually got his $4,000 a month pension. Um, Wow. So... Well, yes, civil suits helped shine a light, a spotlight on Berg and his awful midnight torture team. It didn't help any of the guys who had been convicted get out of prison. So all of them just were doing all these civil suits against him, stating that they hadn't been convicted based on any evidence. It was just on their confessions that had been totally false. So, in 1998, inside of Cook County Prison, 10 men came together to fight to be freed as they stated that they had also been victims of Berg and they were named the Death Row 10. So, that's the group that I worked with and talked to and, you know, kind of at the fledging. So, this I worked with them in 2000. So, they had an uphill battle to fight and one of these guys was Stanley Howard. So, I'm just going to give you a little bit about Stanley Howard. So, Stanley Howard was convicted of killing Oliver Ridgell in May of 1984. So, Berg worked with the with the Chicago Police Department from 1971 to 1992 or 1993. And during that entire time, there were torture allegations going on there. So just keep that in mind. Like, it's just disgusting. So Rigel had been parked on the south side of Chicago with a woman named Takora Mullen. Now, Mullen was married, but not to Rigel. So I guess she was cheating on him, on her husband with him. So they were, I'm guessing, parked, and I'm putting it in quotation marks, so we all know what parked means. She remembered that a man ended up walking up to their car and asked for a cigarette, and when Oliver Rigel refused to give him one, the guy apparently pulled out a gun and robbed them and and ultimately ended up shooting Rigel, who later ended up dying in the hospital. Now, Mullen was apparently very intoxicated at the time and ended up giving a description of a man, but stated it was dark and her vision of him was very limited. So not a lot to go on, right? So just some dark kind of figure. It would be six months later when Stanley Howard was arrested and brought into custody for another charge. And the police decided that he fit the description that Mullen gave. Of course, Stanley was in the south side of Chicago, so he was interrogated in Area 2, where he ended up being tortured into a full confession. So Stanley told his attorney that he had been tortured into confessing, and he even had a paramedic that backed him up who had taken care of his injuries. However, the judge still let the confession in during the trial in 1987. The judge's name was Manon. He was a former police officer who, guess where he worked at? Area 2. That's ridiculous. So I'm sure that wasn't a biased opinion at all, right? (laughs) So Mullen testified that, so Mullen is the woman, so Takora, that it was Stanley that killed Rigel. However, the whole time prior to her identifying him, which was like six months after the fact, she barely saw this guy, couldn't give a full real description. And then all of a sudden she identifies him. Okay. Um, yeah, from a dark shadow to, mm-hmm. like, a actual person. Yeah. So prior to him being identified, Mullen's husband was actually the prime suspect. But they just did not have enough evidence to, like, arrest him. So Stanley was convicted of the murder and given the death penalty. The only evidence against him was his confession and Mullen's statement. Nothing else. 
That's ridiculous. I know. Of course, Stanley appealed in 1991. However, the Illinois Supreme Court denied his appeal, stating the evidence was overwhelming against him, which obviously is not fucking true. It would take. So that's kind of what we were working at is like really getting their kind of information. And this was it was 2000. So it was before like Facebook and MySpace and all of these social media kind of ways to get information out. So we were really focused on. So like they were interviewed by Oprah, Dateline, all of the Geraldo, who I think is trash. Um, But the the big ones in the, you know, during that time. Yeah. So all of the 10 were interviewed and their stories and their families were so vocal about like getting justice for them. So for some of them, it finally happened in 2003 when the Illinois governor, Ryan, ended up reviewing the cases of many of the death row 10 and finding that the confessions had been fabricated due to police brutality. The eyewitnesses were very unreliable. So he came to the conclusion that many were innocent. So he actually ended up commuting or exonerating four. And then there was a there was a moratorium placed on the death penalty in Illinois because if there was just too many questions on how they were getting these confessions out of people. And it turns mm-hmm. out that 30% of the people acquitted in Cook County were acquitted due to false confessions. So, wow. so there was the moratorium put on it. Stanley was given a pardon and his record was expunged of the crimes committed May 20th, 1984. However, if you remember, Stanley was not originally brought in for the murder. He was brought in for some other crimes. So he's actually still in prison, even though he's not for murder. And he is set to be released in 2023. So they couldn't give him, like, time served or any, because, like, he was serving. You know, I honestly don't know what he was convicted for for other crimes. Because, I mean, the murder trumps everything, really. Um, yeah. So maybe it was, I don't know what it was. I'm not saying, and we're not, and honestly, I'm not saying that all of these people are innocent. It's just stating mm-hmm. that their confessions should not be used. And if that's the only thing used of, as yeah. evidence, like that's some bullshit. Mm-hmm. But I agree, he should probably be out. But due to Berg's practices, Cook County has had to pay over $113 million in settlements reparations and legal fees to represent Berg because his ass got sued a lot. So Berg ended up serving some prison time, but not because of the torture. It's because after like 10 years of investigations in the early, like I think it was like 2007 or so, he was arrested because of when he was testified during the civil suit for Andrews uh, Wilson's case, he perjured himself. And so by the time all of this had happened and they had done the investigation, the statute of limitations had been exceeded for all of his torture crimes. So they couldn't criminally convict him because it was over the yeah. limited time, which I think is such a bullshit thing. Ugh. Yeah. But they could convict him for the lying in court. So that's what they went and got him for. So he ended up serving three years in prison. Then he retired, lived in Florida. He ended up actually passing away at the age of 70 in 2018. So goodbye, piece of shit. In December of 2019, Jackie Wilson, so the brother of Andrew, got approval for a new trial. 
and was released on no bail until his trial happens. So he is currently out of prison awaiting trial. I don't know because of COVID. I don't know when his trial is. I mean, the world is all different right now. However, his brother Andrew never got a new trial as he ended up dying in prison in 2007. Now, I'm not saying that maybe they did do it. I don't know. Like, there's a lot. I don't think Stanley did it. Like, I don't think he killed him. There are some where part of some of the death row 10 DNA has proven that they were innocent. And so a number of them have been freed. But there are still some that are in prison, you know, hoping to get a new trial. And there are some things happening with that. So we can always do a, I don't know, a follow up at some point. But... I think it just goes to show, and we, we're we coming across this more and more, and we've talked about it with the false confessions and how much you can believe. And actually, Barack Obama helped get passed in Illinois that they now have to videotape all interrogations. Nice. So thank you, Barack, because that doesn't happen in every state. Um, Even though it should definitely be yeah. a thing in oh, every yeah. state. And there, I can't remember, There's there was some training. And so Berg got training in Vietnam for interrogation techniques. And so that's where he learned his ter- interrogation techniques. I mean, there is a name for how they do it, but we now don't implement that. And the police academies aren't training that anymore, apparently. I don't know. Uh, but that's the, surprising. But the really interesting <laughs> thing is that kids in Illinois actually learn about John Berg in school and his racist wow. atrocity, uh, atrocities against the people of South Side Chicago. So that's taught in history books now in Illinois, which, I mean, is a step in the right direction because a lot of times we like to just kind of gloss over things that don't put authority in a good light. And so mm-hmm. now that kids are learning that shit, this does happen. And yeah, that's good. So that's just a, a little summary of the atrocities that have happened in Cook County, Chicago. <laughs> Cook County, that's where the musical Chicago mm-hmm. takes place, right? That's the jail? Yeah. The six Mary murderesses? Yep. Illinois is apparently one of the most corrupt states in America, I was reading, so, which wow. I could see. Didn't they have a lot of mob They did, stuff? like Al Capone. A lot of mafia. Mm-hmm. Mm, the Valentine's Day right. oh, Massacre. Oh, and Dillinger. Yep. Oh, yeah. Chicago has a lot. Well, you know how much I love the mob, so. Yeah. <laughs> so I know. I'm surprised we didn't get a mob story, I, but I, I guess they're all I pretty known. I thought about it. Yeah. I did, th- I did think about it, but I was like, no, I'm going to cover this just because it's a little closer to home just because I had a little piece to do with it. And yeah. And it was really exciting when they put the moratorium on the death penalty in Illinois. And this is one of the reasons why I think it's really good to question whether a death pen- penalty is appropriate. Because if you can't be sure 100% of the time, you shouldn't put people to death. Yeah. you could be no, putting definitely. innocent people and die. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, thank okay. you. Yeah. All right. So what's your crime murder story today? So, mine is a very heartbreaking one, and also a little bit of a, like, it's one, it has to do with a child, so that's going to be triggering on its own, but also, like, it's kind of gruesome what happened, so just a little heads up for anyone who doesn't really want to hear too much about that. (laughs) That's part of my story, but I thought this was a really important story to share. 
Kyrian Knox was a happy two-year-old boy who lived with his mother, Lanisha Knox. Lanisha was a single mother who was struggling to make ends meet. Kyrian's father and Lanisha had a strained relationship, and from everything I read, she was pretty much raising Kyrian on. They did mention, I guess, the two kind of like, I think they knew each other from high school, and they would get into arguments and stuff online, and just not a great relationship between his dad and mom. On August 19th, 2015, Lanisha and a friend from high school who also had a young son decided to work together to provide a better life for their children. The two planned to move to Iowa, find jobs, and get everything set up in about two weeks before bringing the kids. So they were on a mission. They were going to get these jobs, get an apartment, and then bring the kids over. So in their plan, they decided that they would leave their children with her friend's father, Kamal Harris, and his girlfriend, who I never really got her name. And Lanisha was sad to be leaving her son, but hopeful of the new life that they would soon be starting. So this was only supposed to be for two weeks, starting on August 19th. And in one article I read, the stipulation was that the dad had asked the mothers to get, like, benefits. So, like, um, I guess food stamps or WIC Mm -hmm. or whatever they had. So that way to help him take care of the two little ones. And it didn't say how old the other child was. I would assume he was probably around that same age, like a toddler. As the days went on, calls between Lanisha and her son became more and more sporadic because they were checking in every day. And then after a while, it was getting kind of hard to get a hold of Kamal. Once it was because Lanisha's phone had been turned off temporarily, mm. and then another time Kamal said that the kids dropped his phone in like the toilet or water or something and it broke. But eventually, during the first week of September, the responses to calls and texts just stopped. Finally, on September 7th, Harris's daughter was able to get in touch with him and let him know that even though they were originally only going to be gone for two weeks, they would be returning the weekend of September 12th or 19th due to a paycheck delay. So they were just waiting for the money and then they were going to pick up the kids. Harris stopped responding to calls and texts again. So it didn't say whether he said anything after his daughter sent him that or if he just like answered the phone. She told him that he hung up and then never answered again. It wasn't really clear. On September 17th, Harris called the Rockford Police Department and reported Kyrian missing. He stated that two people named Jerome and Teresa came by to pick up Kyrian and even handed the phone to talk to Lanisha, who approved the pickup. Or, he said later on, a woman who he believed was Lanisha said, yeah, that's fine. Give my kids to these people. And so... Yeah, it was weird. So my guess, based on that timeline, it would mean that uh, Lanisha and her friend didn't get home till the 19th, so two days later. So now we're going to move from Rockford to find out what's going on in Chicago, because like I said, Chicago has a little bit to do with this case. So on Labor Day weekend, on September 5th, 2015, Chicago PD responded to a call about a human foot floating in the Garfield Park Lagoon police were called they were investigating they brought out divers and in the lagoon they found hands the other foot and a head wrapped in a plastic bag and weighted down with a barbell they found no other body parts so because they have no torso they and it was a child's body like hands and feet they weren't unable to tell like whether it was a boy or a girl because of the water and how it had been there they kind of they kind of were at a loss 
So they ended up working with a sketch artist to try to ID who the child was. After the Rockford police received the missing person report from Harris and began investigating, it would lead them right to this unidentified child. Using DNA, the worst would be confirmed that the remains found were that of Kirian Knox. Poor baby. I know. Police continued investigating and discovered that Kirian was last seen at Harris's house in late August. They were able to find surveillance footage of Harris driving a borrowed Chevrolet Camaro into Chicago on August 31st, just days before Kirian's body would be found. But they never said whether they saw Kirian in the car. My guess is you wouldn't be able to because he was probably mm-hmm. in like a child seat even if he was in the car. And so they just said they saw Harris driving. It was also found that Harris used to live in the west side of Chicago near where that park and that lagoon were. So he still knew people in that area. On August 31st, Harris had even called someone to say that he, quote, fucked up and that, quote, something terrible happened. Police searched the Camaro that was used, they believed, to move Kirian's body and found several blood drops belonging to Kirian. Now, in one article, they said that it turns out it wasn't blood, but it had his Kirian's DNA in it. I was really confused, and Mm. I only saw that in one article, so my guess was that it would be blood, or at the very least, some type of DNA from Kirian. They also found previous cases against Harris, including an aggravated battery case against an employee from the Department of Child and Family Services and possession of a controlled substance. So he definitely has a history of this. Yeah. So also, too, when trying to figure out kind of what was going on, there was a lot of speculation after it was discovered kind of like before the trial started and during the trial speculation as to why this may have happened. And so there were two main theories as to why Kirian died. So one theory was that he because he was lactose intolerant and somehow he got milk or he was given milk. So he became really fussy Mm. and finally Kamel didn't want to deal with it anymore. And another statement that they received was that he didn't get enough money from Lanisha. So he killed the baby. But like I said, those were both things that were speculated. I don't believe Kamel ever said anything in court about what happened or what was going on. So finally, a year after the discovery of Kirian's body, Kamel Harris was charged with first-degree murder, concealing a homicide, and dismembering a human body. During trial, Lanisha denied sending anyone to pick up her son, and even admitted that when she dropped off Kirian, she didn't get the sense that anything was wrong. So she did give him the benefit of, hey, like, I really Mm -hmm. didn't notice anything weird happening. Like, I don't, I don't know, but this definitely obviously like something happened along the way and then in the article too i did see a thing where lanisha denied the whole lactose intolerant thing so i don't know if she was denying that he was lactose intolerant or denying that she had possibly given him milk before that happened or didn't tell him that he couldn't have milk i have no idea so that's why i don't know about that one Hmm. witnesses from oh i forgot to mention so before so like i said this was a year after the body of Kirian was discovered, Kamel had gone to jail for some other charge. It didn't really tell me what he had been in jail for. So he was talking while he was in prison. And so witnesses, so jailhouse informants, told about 
how Hukamel admitted to dismembering Kyrian and dumping him in the lagoon. Hmm. And that he did this because he believed that no one would be able to identify him if he was in the lagoon because the water would deteriorate anything. And it also seems like he weighted down pieces. I don't know what happened to, like, maybe he didn't weight them all down yeah. or just weighted the head down. But, I mean, he didn't obviously do a good job if he was trying to dispose of a body. But he did, I mean, he unfortunately was on the right track of, like, people wouldn't able be able to identify yeah because after only a few days which also that must be really harsh water in like if he drove into chicago on the 31st and five days later that body was already like unrecognizable yeah don't touch the lagoon apparently well it's like super hot and humid too so i mean i'm sure Mm -hmm. that played a part of it so yeah but yeah So he told another witness, another jailhouse informant, that he had snapped and killed a boy he was watching because the boy's mother hadn't given him enough money to look after him. So this is where we got that other theory. Mm -hmm. The defense tried to discredit these witnesses since they were prisoners, and one of them had even received a deal for their testimony, (laughs) which I don't, like, I understand that they receive a deal, but that's kind of how you get some of them to talk but yeah generally before they offer them a deal they have to be able to give something substantial yeah so i don't know but oh also since you had mentioned cook county and how kind of corrupt they are Mm -hmm. the trial took place in cook county Mm -hmm. because since the body was found in chicago they took the case and seemingly like they have no way of proving whether he was he killed him in chicago or he killed him in rockford and then moved him to chicago yeah the case just went to cook county because they were like well our police did a bunch of work to identify we should get to prosecute yeah that was also a thing where i was like hmm like maybe they did give them a deal prematurely before finding out if that was true i don't know so the defense also went after lanisha claiming that she was an impulsive young mother who moved from city to city when she became bored and dragged her son along with her which i mean i think that's pretty messed up especially considering that nobody ever thought lanisha was a suspect because she was in iowa at the time so why even drag her into this is like i mean she's a single mother trying to make it work And the reason they could say, like, she moved city to city is because they had previously lived in Georgia, I believe, with her mother. But I'm like, that's just her trying to find a place to live with her child. Yeah, the hopping from city to city, I think, is stupid. But, I mean, the thing that I would think is, like, child endangerment putting him in, letting him stay with Kamal. And that wasn't obviously a safe place. So didn't have like kind of neglecting your child because you didn't choose an appropriate guardian for him. So just a kind of. If she didn't sense anything was wrong and her friend who I would guess that Kamal had maybe babysat the kids before because obviously like her friend had a kid. Like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like how do you really. Yeah, no, I I guess. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's not like you're doing background checks. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, and maybe I, she didn't. Yeah, to kind of be like, okay, no, I'm not blaming yeah. her at all. That's ridiculous. Don't blame the mom. I mean, yeah, I mean, parents can be shitty, but I mean, she was trying to do the right thing and trying to better their lives, yeah. and just this asshole came into their, their his life. Mm-hmm. 
So the prosecution relied heavily on the jailhouse informant testimony, especially since they there was no fingerprint or DNA evidence that could link Harris to the killing because, again, the body was thrown in a lagoon. So there's not really, like, he could easily say that his fingerprints and and the baby's fingerprints were in the car because they were in mm-hmm. the car, like, they'd driven. So yeah. there was nothing substantial. So prosecutors offered Harris a plea bargain in February in which he would admit to involuntary manslaughter and get a seven-year sentence. But Kirian's family protested and the deal fell through, as did many others. Um, Because there was even one where the judge denied it. It was like, no, like, we're going to tack on some, like, if this does get to the sentencing phase, Mm -hmm. like, I want a clause, like, where he could tack on additional time, I guess, in addition to, like, whatever deal. So a bunch of deals were following through, but in Cook County, prosecutors win convictions 85% of the time, so Harris was ready for the verdict to come down that he would spend the rest of his life in jail. Um, His lawyers, however, felt the deals were a sign that the case was weak because all they were relying on was the testimony, and they were definitely working hard to discredit that testimony, saying that, well, they're in jail, so of course they're going to say that he said these things. After eight hours of deliberating in May of 2019, the jury acquitted Harris of Kirian's death. Harris's public defender spoke out, saying that she hopes the police look into the two people who took Kirian from Harris's house, but that Harris himself is innocent. A police spokesman from Chicago said the city would not reopen the case unless new evidence was presented. Which, like, I kept looking to see if anybody had tried to locate this, like, Jerome or Teresa person, Mm -hmm. or, like, how they would have known the baby's name or the mom's name. I couldn't find anything that said they even looked into it. Yeah. Or what the situation was. But my thing is, like, I mean why wouldn't you at least try to kind of keep the case open for a little bit and maybe retry Harris for something? Like, find new evidence? I don't know. But I don't know if Double Jeopardy like, would yeah, take place. Yeah, they can't. They can't retry No, Double Jeopardy, right? Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. So, if he did do this, he basically just got away with murder. Yeah. And this family has no... I don't know like even as a cop i feel like i would want to look into it just to find something that says yeah he did it like even if there's nothing that they could do about it to give the family some sense of like yeah no for sure he did it like yeah i mean we know we can't do anything about it and sorry we didn't i guess have all our ducks in a row before but i don't know so the case is still closed as of this day in may of 2020 Kamel Harris filed a lawsuit against the city of Chicago claiming that they coerced his living girlfriend into implicating him in the murder. And so as of now, it's still pending. They haven't commented on it. And obviously, like with COVID, we don't know what's going on. Yeah. (laughs) But definitely, if you have any information that could help the case, if you live in the Chicago area and know anything about this, you can submit a tip to the Chicago PD. So hopefully that one day Kirian and his family can find justice. Because it's just really heartbreaking that there's literally nothing that could be done now. Also, the reason I picked this case, I wanted to talk about a few other things with it, is one, I felt like I don't remember this happening at all a few years ago. And it is so 
tragic that he was, I mean, I know that like obviously gruesome details are not great, but definitely like in terms of the media, those are Mm -hmm. the kind of things that we hear about. Mm -hmm. And to not really hear anything about this little boy who was treated like this, because I really only found articles from like Chicago news sites like nothing really national i think time magazine did a small piece when like i think when he got acquitted but not really about what happened Mm -hmm. and so to me it was just like really heartbreaking that this little boy didn't get the attention and it makes me kind of wonder was it because he was a little african-american boy was it because his mom was a single mother like what was it that caused his story to not get the recognition and if it had gotten the recognition maybe there were some other people who knew something about the case who could have done something before the trial Mm. or somebody might have seen him dump the body like you know what i mean like more evidence more substantial evidence yeah Mm -hmm. and especially because they waited a year to commit like I mean, yeah. maybe a little bit more digging to find something other than the jailhouse informants. Yeah. Which, that's... don't get me wrong, like, definitely can be helpful, but also, like, you need a little bit more than that. And it's like, yet again, uh, it's like, what is with these people? Well, once they get into jail, like, they're just like, blah, 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 blah. Like, confession, confession, confession. <laughs> like, Yeah. I don't know. It's just like, what the heck? But obviously, like, even if you talk in prison, if they have nothing else against you... Yeah, no. I mean, what does it matter? Like, you know what I mean? Like, go ahead and tell everybody they can't do anything anything. about it anyway. Yeah, and not that every kid should have, if something terrible happens, they should be, you know, their story should be told. So I don't discredit, like, other kids getting their stories told, but... Yeah, there definitely is a disproportionality when it comes to whose story gets told and why their stories get told and justice for certain people and not justice for others. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I thought it was so sad because he was such a sweet-looking little boy and everyone who described him said he was just such a little ray of light and he was such a good kid and just this cute little two-year-old with yeah. the whole rest of his life and his mom was trying to set up a better life for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this happened, I mean, to only have been gone a few weeks, like, how, like, I don't get how someone could lose patience, like, whether mm-hmm. he was crying, or yeah. even if the mom didn't give him enough money, like, drop yeah. the kid off at a fire station, then, like, yeah. why do you have to kill him? And it didn't say anything about the other daughter, like, his daughter's child, his grandchild. Mm-hmm. So, what happened? Like, did that kid not do anything? Like, yeah. And also, too, if you're babysitting a child and two strange people that you've never met before come and say, like, oh, yeah, the mom said I'm going to take him to Iowa, especially because, like, you would have, why wouldn't you call the mom? Say, oh, like, even if yeah. they hand you the phone, be like, okay, hold on, let me call her, like, yeah. from my phone and see if she answers. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? I don't know. Just like, yeah, there's a lot of questions too- and not enough answers. Yeah. No, and. It's unfortunate because this poor little boy doesn't get the justice that he deserves and mm-hmm. his family has to just live with that and, and not know what happened, which I think is probably worse than actually knowing what ha- is just to like, yeah, have the, no idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So my mm. my story was a little short, but I definitely did want to give little Kirian some some time and talk about him. Yeah. And the tragedy that happened to him. And I hope like whatever did happen to him that it was very quick and painless. Yeah. And that he didn't have to suffer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least his story's, you know, his name is out there. And but yeah, that's sad. I, children children deaths are always like just any death is terrible but kids deaths are just so much harder to take because they don't have the time to experience life and the joys and tr- triumphs mm-hmm. and it's just sad yeah and literally have done nothing mm-hmm. like i mean they didn't make a choice in any of this like no. he didn't make a choice to stay there he didn't make a choice to do i mean not saying that other murder victims like choose to be murdered i'm just saying like for little kids it's even more like they can't fight back they can't Mm -hmm. do anything and it's really heartbreaking and i just i don't know and then it frustrates me when like certain things like i understand that we can't give media attention to every single case but like for some cases i feel like there should be a little bit more outrage and there should Mm -hmm. be a little bit more attention and they just don't get that yeah i agree Especially when there aren't answers. Like, you know, if you know who did it and they're arrested and there's some closure. But there are a lot of cases where there's not closure and not answers. And they, you know, they're not being told. And we focus on others that are, yeah. It just is frustrating. Yeah, it is. Or even too, like, I remember, I think it was a few years ago, probably around the same time as this, maybe a little bit later. But, like, I remember hearing a whole bunch about there was a child who got, at Disney World, at one of the resorts or whatever, who got eaten by an alligator or something. Yeah. Oh, yes, I remember that. And they like, from Nebraska. Yeah, and, like, definitely a tragedy and so upsetting. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, a really weird freak accident, like, slash yeah. parents maybe breaking the rules or something because I don't think they were supposed to be where they were. But Yeah. And maybe if it... And so it's, like... Yeah, that's upsetting. But how is that making national news? But something like this where we need people's help to find yeah. justice and we need to reach out and talk to people and say, hey, like, have you heard anything? Or, I mean, yeah, this kid needs help. You know what I mean? But again, both tragedies, but yep. one is a little, one needs a little bit more help to yeah. be solved. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you for telling his story. All right, now it's time for our super fun state facts and cities. All right, I think I went first last time. Do you want to okay. give us your fun city fact? Absolutely. So as I told you, uh, my city was Chicago, the Windy City. And so I didn't even look up a state fun or a city fun fact. I'm just going to tell you a fun Amber fact story for Chicago. Okay. So... In 2000, uh, a lot of shows were actually taped in Chicago. So the Oprah show was, it was impossible to get tickets to Oprah, just so you know. That was a wait list (laughs) of years. But there were two other fun shows that were recorded in Chicago at the time. The Jenny Jones Show and Jerry Springer. So... (laughs) There are episodes where little Amber is sitting in the audience for the Jenny Jones show and the Jerry Springer show. 
No way. Oh, yeah. Do you know what? Have you ever looked them up? Are they on YouTube um, or I don't anything? really remember. The Jenny Jones show was just like a, my teenage daughter dresses like a slut show. So it wasn't super, like there were like a thousand of those. But mm-hmm. Jerry Springer's show was after, it was like, what had just come out? Like, how, like who wants to, like not who wants to be a, some, some who wants to be a millionaire was out or something, but it was about marrying this is not a politically correct term this is jerry jones or jerry springer so it was who wants to marry a midget oh my god oh uh, so there was like midget fights <laughs> i actually think i still have it on vhs tape somewhere because i recorded it but yeah it's it was totally scripted it was super disappointing when you saw the behind the scenes because like, they tell you, like, Steve told you, like, when to, like, cheer. They, like, they acted it out before they recorded the stuff. And oh, so okay. it was all fake. But it still was really fun. And Jerry Springer was kind of pervy. So, because, like, I was with me and a whole bunch of my, well, my roommates. <laughs> and I went. And during the, like, ask the audience, he came and, like, he kept trying to sit on our laps. And it was just really creepy. And I was, like, 19, so I was just, like, a little weirded out for him. And my friend Emily was a little, like, what? And but it was really weird. But Jerry, 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 Jerry. Jerry. <laughs> I used to love Jerry Springer. I used to watch Jerry Springer and Mari was, like, all I watched oh, when yeah. I would stay home you from sick. You are not the father. From school sick. <laughs> yeah, you are not the father. It's like, damn, Mari. But yeah, the I used to watch that, and I used to watch game shows like oh, yeah. the Supermarket Sweep and all those. Those were my jam when I was home from school. Sick it was trash TV and game shows. <laughs> well, if you can ever, if anybody can find that episode of Jerry Springer, I'm sitting right in the middle of the audience, and I'm wearing. I remember I was wearing kind of like a bright salmony orange colored shirt, so you could see me. I had really short like uh, platinum blonde hair at the time, so I stuck out. Because I'm, like, tall. Like, all my friends were short. <laughs> so you all can right. totally see me. <laughs> so if you find Amber, definitely share that with us. If you find a clip of it or have it on recording for some reason, <laughs> Maybe I'll know. try to. I'll try. Maybe I'll try to find it. on Because I know I do have it on VHS. <laughs> so maybe I'll try to find it and, like, That's take a snapshot or a little recording of Amber, Definitely. Jerry Jones, Jenny Jones, or Jerry Springer. Jerry Springer. I don't, I used That's to have fun. the Jenny Jones one too. I, it might be on the same tape. So, but you can see me <laughs> in the audience of her too. Very cool. Very cool. So there's well, thank super you. fun state, or city fact. The city fact. <laughs> Chicago. Everyone from Chicago is like, what the hell? Is that kind there's of so fact? many more <laughs> cultural things you can talk about. <laughs> Also, uh, because I'm rewatching New Girl, Nick, yeah, uh, the character from New mm-hmm. Girl, he's from Chicago. Yes, he is. <laughs> I remember he was playing a, a, he was undercover, and he was like uh, playing a guy named Julius Peppercorn, and he's like, what did he say? New York style pizza or flat crust pizza? And no, thank you. I'm from Chicago. Oh. <laughs> he kept saying like that. It's like what? Oh. Also, uh, should I? Would not like pizza in Chicago. I oh, it is a deep dish. I don't like pizza to begin with, and deep dish pizza is disgusting. My brother loves it though. Sorry, Chicago. I'm all about that New York style pizza. I like my pizza like real, like 
floppy and big and like <laughs> yep. it's all about new york style pizza for me and california style i guess because i like me and Ed's. i guess that would be california style like with the really crispy crust i, I do not like me and Ed's pizza i think it's the grossest pizza ever made so if you live anywhere in the Central Valley, California, I'm sorry. Me and Ed's, like, oh my God. I love me and Ed's. If you ever come to Fresno or anywhere in the Central Valley, find a me and Ed's. Do yourself a favor. Do not eat buy some it. of their pizza. It is amazing. You know what? Shush. I'm going to edit that That's out of the podcast. Thing. I'm just going to mute. Look at all the things that your husband and I have in common. Love gin and conics. Hate me and Ed's. <laughs> Might be a white people thing. I don't know. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> oh my god. Or maybe it's just a not from Fresno thing because neither of you are from Fresno. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Yeah. So you guys didn't grow up with the same things I did. Poor taste? I know. <laughs> you know what? I'm editing you out of the podcast. No! <laughs> <laughs> All right. My city fact, so although the trial did take place in Chicago, and I found a fun fact for Rockford, because that is where they were originally from, and that's where the last place he was at alive, we're going to say. So so in Rockford, they are a city that English wasn't the only common language spoken there. So early settlers were from New York State and New England, but they also got an influx of like Irish-born immigrants and even Swedish immigrants in 1852. After the Civil War, the Swedes began to come in large numbers and quickly became the largest largest ethnic group in the city. They settled chiefly on the east side and in areas along 7th Street or Kishwaukee Avenue, and the Swedish language was as common as English um, as late as the 1920s. So I thought that was really cool that, especially because it's such a random language, like Swedish was like the language before mm-hmm. uh, the 1920s. It was just as common as English. So I thought that was a pretty fun fact for Rockford. It is. I'm not, my ancestry is not Swedish, it's Norwegian, but same as similar area. Nice. So I also have the state fact this week and because we're getting closer to my favorite holiday um, this was perfect because it's a pumpkin fact so apparently Illinois is like the state that produces most of the pumpkins for the United States around 90 to 95 percent of the processed pumpkins in the U.S. are grown in Illinois and I couldn't find an earlier statistic but in 2008 496 million pounds of pumpkins were produced in Illinois. So that's super crazy. Bunch of pumpkins. There's like a bunch of uses for pumpkins. If you don't know, you can eat the pumpkin seeds. You can eat the pumpkin itself. Even pumpkin flowers are edible. So it's a pretty cool fruit or fruit, vegetable. I don't know what a pumpkin, a gourd. It's a gourd. gourd. I don't know. But yeah, so Pumpkin production states, I guess, are Illinois being the top, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and California. So just a few states where you get a good amount of pumpkins. So I thought that was pretty cool. I couldn't find you an earlier fact other than 2008 on how many pumpkins are produced or like what the actual number is. is But I still like that if that was that high in 2008. Yeah. Well, and you think about like how much pumpkin has to be produced just for pumpkin pies alone because of Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving. 
Like, holy shit. Yeah. And then I love pumpkin. I love pumpkin pies. I love pumpkin bread. I do not like Starbucks pumpkin spice lattes. No. Because those don't have any pumpkin in them, just FYI. It, and, and they're gross. It's gross. And let's see what else. Pumpkin. Oh, my favorite curry is a red pumpkin curry from the Gem of Thailand mm. here in Fresno. So another pumpkin thing I love. I love a lot of things. I like making jack-o'-lanterns. I like pumpkin seeds. Mm-hmm. I like pumpkin squares, pumpkin bread. I like pumpkin-scented candles. All about the pumpkins. I even have a blanket on my bed right now. It's a little throw blanket that has jack-o'-lanterns on it. Which John said is okay because I, oh, I was going to say that seems like it's a close little early for John to be letting you put out some Halloween stuff. He's the one that uses the blanket because I think he's insane because it's been a hundred degrees lately, but he still needs a sheet and another blanket on top. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. I I'm guess over that's here sleeping on top of too. sheets. Because <laughs> I'm is like, that yeah, something you do? <laughs> <laughs> oh Are John God. and I the same person? <laughs> maybe this is weird i don't know that's crazy i hate i don't get it i can't even sleep with this sheet on right now like if i could literally float above the bed during the summer i would be more content i just i don't i can't sleep if i'm hot that's why i have two separate fans and my hepa filter and everything just blowing on me (laughs) and then i'm under my blanket oh no yep see you guys are crazy but, I mean, at least I get Halloween blankets on my bed. That's already, true. Because it's August, which starts with AU, which is autumn, <laughs> which means Halloween. Oh, okay. So, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> I saw the cutest Hocus Pocus t-shirt that keeps popping up on my Facebook feed. And every time I think of you, and I'm like, should I buy this for Selena? But then I haven't. But I always think about it. Because it's really cute. The, the answer should always be yes, because yes. Hocus Pocus is one of my favorite I movies. <laughs> like, I watch it every year. It's the best. <laughs> Maybe I'll give you a, I'll get you a Halloween present. Yes. <laughs> that should be a thing. Forget Christmas presents, <laughs> Valentine's presents. No, there should be Halloween, Halloween presents. <laughs> there, Here's your you Halloween present treat. <laughs> I like how both episodes now, last week's episode, we we're talking about Halloween. And this week's episode, we're talking about Halloween. And it's not even close to Halloween. Again. Oh, uh, yeah. August, you. Autumn. Halloween. Halloween. Done. Uh, right. So be prepared. I hope you guys like Halloween because you're going to be hearing a lot about it until we hit that day. So thank you guys for listening. So now we're getting into the part of the country that the state's Um, are not very considerate of our zigzaggy pattern and so they're going to get a little bit misaligned so we are going to be in mississippi next i know technically little tiny corners of tennessee and kentucky touch illinois but because the majority of the state fits better on our way back up the zigzag we're going to hold off on those so we are going to head down to mississippi so, back in the South. Back in the South. <laughs> M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. I still have to say that song when I'm typing Oh, me too. M-I-S-S-S-I-P-P-I. The same way that when I spell bananas, I have to sing like Gwen Stefani. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Oh, I have to do that for the word success. S-U-C-C-E-S-S. That's the way we spell success. What is that from? My mom. Oh. 
I had dyslexia. I had a hard time with spelling. <laughs> but you put anything to it. a song and I'll remember it. <laughs> this teachers are missing out. Like they need to teach through they song. Are. I'll tell my sister in law and brother. <laughs> Stop yep, teaching my start. song. What subjects do they teach? Or do they Sped. teach young kids so it's all of it? No, they do special ed. Oh, okay. Then definitely make up songs because yeah. songs make everything more fun. Yeah, exactly. That's my one complaint about life is there's not enough spontaneous jumping into a musical number. I was so. I was on a Zoom call the other day well, and it came up. And so everybody, like I came up, I was a little bit, like not late, but it was a couple of people on. And for some reason I sang hello to them. I was like, hello. And I'm like, why the fuck did I just do that? That's the best, and how everybody should enter every Zoom call ever. Hello! And then they were like, oh! And then it was a meeting with, uh, like, um, two other groups we work with, and so one of them's like, oh, do you sing? And I was like, uh, no. It's like, oh, it sounded Never. so pretty. You're selling yourself short. You've sang so many times on this podcast, especially, like, Mormons on their bicycles, two by two. I've been sad because you haven't been able to see Mormons on their bicycles because of COVID. I haven't because so of COVID. Oh, so disappointing. COVID's ruining everything. Everything. COVID. <sighs> so, <right>. also, <laughs> thank you guys. Thank you guys again for listening. Like I said before, next week we are going to be in Mississippi. Don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at SOM Podcast. Make sure that you tell all your friends because we'd love to get new listeners. So let everybody know how much you like our podcast. And one really super easy way you can do that is by leaving us a review on iTunes so or Apple Podcasts. So go there, leave a star, tell people what you like about us. It means a whole lot to us. And then still we're going on with the shout outs. So if you are registered to vote and or you have filled out your census, if you live in the United States, let us know and we will give you a shout out in the episode. Um, we'd like to know that our listeners are getting involved, being little social justice warriors, standing up, voting for what they believe in. So let us know and we'll give you a shout out and you can email us at stateofmurderpodcast at gmail.com for just about anything. You have questions, you want to say hi, you have a correction, you know something about a case, let us know. We'd like to hear from you guys because uh, right now we're just talking to a bunch of numbers on a screen basically is that we just see people listening to our episode, don't know who you are. Say hi every once in a while. Yeah. And I think. Did I go through everything? I think so. You're always so good at it. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. We'll see you next week in Mississippi. Bye. Bye.